Good morning. If you have your Bible, open it up, please, to Second Chronicles chapter 36. We'll begin our study there in just a moment. Second Chronicles chapter 36. We have a great number here today. It's great to see everybody here. I know we have visitors here with us. Thank you for being here with us as well. May God bless you all. Well, recently I had a biblical conversation with someone. It worked out really well. We had a great time talking about the Word of God. In the process of time, I learned that this individual does a lot of traveling, and he shared with me how he has been to uh, a number of museums. Our conversation kind of deviated, and we started talking about uh, different museums and things like that. One of the museums I want to go to uh, is the British Museum. I've never been, but I really want to go, and hopefully we can make that happen one day. And so as we started talking about uh, the British Museum, my mind went to the Cyrus Cylinder, and maybe you're familiar with the Cyrus Cylinder. And I, I asked him if he was familiar with it, and he had not heard of the Cyrus Cylinder. And so that led to a conversation uh, through the scriptures of a man by the name of King Cyrus that we read about and what is referred to as the Cyrus Cylinder. Now, maybe some of you already have a good understanding about the Cyrus Cylinder. It's kind of become a fascination of mine, not just with the, the cylinder itself, but just with everything that is connected to it, with the man and the events that uh, are detailed and connected to the Cyrus Cylinder. It's a fascinating story, and we learn so much about King Cyrus. We learn a lot about the prophecies of this man that are mentioned in the Bible and the reliability of the Scriptures. And so this morning, I want to talk a little bit about Cyrus, King Cyrus, and the cylinder. And I want to share with you some details about the significance of King Cyrus uh, when it comes to our faith. Our theme is Arise and Build, and we're still focusing upon our faith. And I did a little bit of digging, I believe it was back in 2012, 2013, where the Cyrus Cylinder was on display around the United States. And so this was in Houston, uh, and there's Nikki there to the right there. Uh, we got a chance to look at the Cyrus Cylinder up close and personal. And it was really an amazing thing to see uh, this, uh, this artifact that's been around for a very long period of time. And so we were able to see that uh, in Houston. Here's a more detailed photo of the Cyrus Cylinder. And we'll talk a little bit more about the cylinder itself Uh, in just a few minutes here. For now, I want to give a little bit of an overview with respect to King Cyrus. King Cyrus, and we'll see what is said about him in the scriptures here in just a moment. King Cyrus was the son of Cambyses, the king of Persia. And we can just look in history to get some details about who King Cyrus was. He was the son of Cambyses, the king of Persia, and he would defeat Uh, The Median king in 550 B.C., Cyrus would begin to lead uh, Persia, and eventually he would destroy or defeat the Babylonians. We read about this, and we'll see this here in just a moment. And so in 539 B.C., he would conquer Babylon. Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, Babylon should be a very uh, familiar nation uh, as well. And history gives us some details about how he even went about defeating Babylon and getting in and ultimately overtaking them. History also tells us that Cyrus would die in 530 B.C. So we have some details regarding Cyrus. There's some more information that you can look into if you like. But those are just some basic facts about the man just by looking at history. Now, when you consider the Cyrus Cylinder... Let me just give you a couple of details about the Cyrus Cylinder itself. It currently is located in the British Museum in London. 
and it was found in 1879 by British Museum Expedition uh, in Iraq. And so if you look at it, it's the size of a, of a rugby football. It was made of wet clay and fashioned into the shape of a cylinder, and it's densely covered with small writing. Uh, it's inscribed in a Babylonian cuneiform on the orders of Cyrus after he captured Babylon in 539 B.C. So if you look at the, the details of it, there are different writings or writings on uh, the cylinder there. Now, someone may be thinking, well, what's the big deal with all of this? Well, it's one of the, my favorite things that I like to study. That's one of the big, now, there's some bigger things besides just what I like out of it. It really is a powerful story, and I'm going to share it with you why. And it's a story that if you can hold on to this story, or maybe you want to use another kind of story that we find in the Word of God, it's a powerful demonstration of predictive prophecy, of the reliability of God's Word, and that what you have in your hand, the Bible, what you're reading right now, is something very special, and it's something not to be taken for granted. And so I want to share with you why this is such a big deal. And I asked you to turn over to Second Chronicles chapter 36, because in Second Chronicles chapter 36, we are going to read about Cyrus. We're going to read about this man. I think this lesson is going to be beneficial as we think about arising and building, as we think about our faith and relying on what God has given us, that what you have indeed is the very word of God. It is inspired by God. You can take it to the bank. You can trust it. And we need to make sure that we stand upon it. So let me walk you through what's going on here in Second Chronicles chapter 36. Look at verse number 15. At the end of this, it says, The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them again and again by his messengers, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. The, writing of, the writer of Chronicles is showing us the mindset of God's people throughout the centuries how they rejected the prophets time and time again. Verse 16, but they continually mocked the messengers of God, despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people until there was no remedy. Therefore, he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, the the Babylonians, who slew their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or infirm. He gave them all into his hand, all the articles of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his officers. He brought them all to Babylon. Then they burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burned all its fortified buildings with fire and destruction, or I'm sorry, and destroyed all of its valuable articles. What we're reading happened. What we're reading is history. We know that Babylon would begin to go against God's people beginning in 605 B.C. And then the siege would continue on in 597 and and 588. And eventually the temple would be destroyed. Jerusalem, as we read about it here, would be destroyed in 586. And those who were in Jerusalem, many of them would be taken into exile. They would remain in Babylon for an extended period of time. He would go on to say in verse number 20, those who had escaped from the sword, he carried away to Babylon and they were servants to him and to his sons. Listen to this until the rule of the kingdom of Persia. So we're now we're going to be introduced a little bit more to, to Cyrus to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah. Jeremiah. 
until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days of its desolation it kept Sabbath until 70 years were complete. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he sent a proclamation throughout his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed to me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever there is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. Now I want to share a couple of thoughts here with you as you look at and understand the big deal. We saw here in Second Chronicles chapter 36 different historical events that took place. Israel, Judah, they rejected the prophets of God. And so God told them, this is what is going to happen. You are going to be taken into captivity. And they would be taken into captivity for a span of 70 years. In that text there, did you notice what he said in verse 21? To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah. One of the things that is so interesting about this is how throughout the Old Testament, you see a variety of prophets all kind of intertwined and relating and talking about these events that we're looking at at this very moment. Look over real quickly at Jeremiah chapter 25. Jeremiah had spoken about these events that were going to take place. In Jeremiah chapter 25, and I want you to begin reading with me in verse number 1. Jeremiah chapter 25, verse number 1. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah and to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, from the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, even to this day, these 23 years, the word of the Lord has come to me. And I've spoken to you, think about this, again and again, but you have not listened. And the Lord has sent to you all his servants, the prophets, again and again. But you have not listened nor inclined your ear to hear, saying, Turn now everyone from his evil way and from the evil of your deeds and dwell in the land which the Lord has given to you and your forefathers forever and ever. And do not go after other gods. He's just reminding them all the things that they had been hearing for such a long time. Verse 7, Yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord in order that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands to your own harm. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, watch what he says in verse 9, Behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, declares the Lord, and I will send to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land and against its inhabitants and against all these nations round about, and I will utterly destroy them and make them a horror and a hissing and an everlasting destruction. He's talking about what he was going to do and how Babylon was going to overtake them. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole land, listen to what he says here will be a desolation and a horror, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then it will be when 70 years are completed. I will punish the king of Babylon, and that nation declares the Lord for their iniquity in the land of the Chaldeans, and I will make it an everlasting desolation. So he said, look, this is what Babylon is going to do. I'm going to allow this to happen. They're going to come up against you. And you're going to go into captivity for 70 years, and then after that, I'm going to come against them. 
And that's what we read about, and that's what we find. That's exactly what happened. And so Babylon was going to take God's people into captivity for a span of 70 years. And then after those 70 years, after the rule of the kingdom of Persia, or after until the rule of the kingdom of Persia, things would begin to change. And so as we think about all of this, Jeremiah chapter 29 gives us just a few additional details as well. We're not going to read all of this, but in Jeremiah chapter 29, some more details are given as well, uh, beginning in verse number 4. In Jeremiah 29 and verse 4, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. In other words, get comfortable. And plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands. That they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and, and do not decrease. And so he, he's telling them, look, this is, what's gonna, this is how it's just going to be. And in verse number 10, he said, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you and bring you back to this place. And so Jeremiah spoke about these events as we saw in Second Chronicles chapter 36. And so Jeremiah spoke about this coming destruction, about how they will remain uh, in Babylon for those 70 years. 70 years, that's what happened, beginning from 605 B.C. And after those 70 years, what we see here is that God would use King Cyrus. He would use Cyrus of Persia to release his people. When you go back to Second Chronicles chapter 36, look again in verse number 22. In Second Chronicles chapter 36, again in verse number 32, and remember what he says here. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he sent a proclamation throughout his kingdom and also put it in writing. So God was going to use this man. We see the power of God in this story as well, my friends, that he is ultimately in control of all the nations, whether Israel, Babylon, Persia, you name it. God is the one that is in control. And yet there is still more. Cyrus is going to release, allow God's people to go back home. He would allow the captives to go back home. And he's going to help Israel to help rebuild the temple. He's going to give them things as we read about in Ezra chapter 1 to help them to rebuild the temple. Yeah, I want to share with you something else. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah spoke about Cyrus as well. And one of the most powerful points to be made about this story about Cyrus and all the things that he did is how Cyrus was spoken of by Isaiah before he was born. Isaiah spoke about this man and, and what he would do before he was ever born. And this is what we have, this is what you call predictive prophecy. And he's going to mention him by name. I want to pick up the story here in Isaiah chapter, 20, chapter 44, rather, beginning in verse number 28. And just quickly run through this. In Isaiah chapter 44, beginning in verse number 28 and going into chapter 45, what we find here is that God is going to use Cyrus for his purpose. And he's going to have him to allow his people to go back home. And it's just a powerful thought to think about. How could Isaiah know the future? Who knows the future? Man doesn't know the future. Only God does. Isaiah was inspired by God as he wrote these words. And before Cyrus was ever born, Isaiah was speaking about what he would do. Isaiah 44, beginning in verse 24, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer and the one who formed you from the womb, 
I, the Lord, am the maker of all things. We see his power stretching out the heavens by myself and spreading out the earth all along. God is speaking about who and who he is and just how powerful he is, causing the omens of boasters to fail, making fools out of diviners, causing wise men to draw back and turning their knowledge into foolishness. Just as God can create, he can also frustrate the efforts of the wicked. And verse 26, he says, confirming the word of his servant and performing the purpose of his messengers. It is I who says of Jerusalem, she shall be inhabited. And of the cities of Judah, she, they shall be rebuilt. They shall be built. And I will raise up her ruins again. God is able to fulfill his word and his promises and his purposes. And notice what he's saying about Jerusalem and how she would be, guilt, be built again. Confirming the word of his servant and performing the purpose of his messengers. It is I who says of Jerusalem, she shall be inhabited. And of the cities of Judah, she shall be built. And I will raise up her ruins again. It is I who says to the depth of the sea, be dried up. And I will make your rivers dry. Now watch what he says in verse 28. It is I who says of Cyrus. So now Isaiah is talking about Cyrus. Now, keep in mind that Cyrus is not yet born as Isaiah is writing these words. And yet he's speaking about Cyrus and who he is and what he's going to do. It is I who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. So he's described as a, as, as a shepherd, uh, even though he didn't necessarily worship the true and living God. He's, he's being described here uh, as a shepherd. He is my shepherd and he will perform all my desire. God said, this man is going to allow my people ultimately to come back home. He's going to do what it is that I want him to do. And he declares of Jerusalem, she will be built. And of the temple, your foundation will be laid. Brothers and sisters, that's what we see. That's what, that's what Cyrus was going to help the people to do. And so one of the things I want you to keep in mind here is that when you think about this story here, these events were predicted prior to the birth of Cyrus more than 100 years before he was born. And how his anointed, God was going to use him, God was going to work through him, whom I have taken by the right hand to subdue nations before him. He's talking about Cyrus. And to loose the loins of kings, to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the rough places smooth. I will shatter the doors of bronze and cut through their iron bars. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden wealth of secret places so that you may know that it is I. That's powerful. The Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by your name, for the sake of Jacob, my servant, and Israel, my chosen one, I have also called you by your name. I have given you a title of honor, though you have not known me. Why was God going to do all of this? It was ultimately for his glory and for his people. This is why he was going to use Cyrus to fulfill his promises to allow his people to return back home. And so when you think about what Isaiah says here of King Cyrus, and there's a lot of things that we could talk about here. One of the biggest things I want you to see is how Cyrus is mentioned by name, even before he was born. 
Before all these events ever took place, Isaiah spoke about what it was that God was going to do through King Cyrus. God would use Cyrus to fulfill his purpose, to allow his people to go back home. And so when you go back to Second Chronicles, you go back to Second Chronicles chapter 36, go back there and then look at Ezra chapter 1 and Second Chronicles chapter 36. This is what we find here in Second Chronicles chapter 36. And verse number 23, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, this is what he said, the Lord, the God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever there is among you of all his people, may the Lord, his God be with him and let him go up. In Ezra chapter one and beginning in verse number one, listen to what it says here in Ezra chapter one, beginning in verse number one. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he sent a proclamation throughout all of his kingdom. And also put it in writing saying, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever there is among you of all his people, may his God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. Every survivor at whatever place he may live, let the man of that place support him with silver and gold, with goods and cattle, together with a free will offering for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. And so what we find here, we find, we find this predictive prophecy on how it came to pass of what God was able to do through Cyrus. Now, I have on the slide as well passages like Daniel chapter 10 and Daniel chapter 9. Daniel was in Babylon, and if you recall in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel was aware of what Jeremiah had said. I think this is interesting as well. When you look at Daniel chapter 9, look over in Daniel chapter 9, and I want you to notice what what Daniel says here in verse number 2, what the Bible says here in Daniel 9 and verse number 2. The Bible says, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord, to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So it's just fascinating to see how all these stories intertwine and connect what we have in Second Chronicles, what we have in Ezra, what we have in Isaiah, what we have in Jeremiah, and what we have also in the book of Daniel. Sometimes people may ask, well, if Cyrus didn't know God, and that's what Isaiah said, even though you do not know me, if Cyrus didn't know God, then how did he know how to do all of this? There are a couple of thoughts there. One, History suggests Cyrus was interested in religion and the Jewish writings, and so he may have read all of this himself. Another possibility is that Daniel, who was a counselor of kings, who continued into the third year of his reign, shared this information with him as well. And so I think that helps to answer maybe some potential questions that people have here. Now, I'm sharing all of this because the big thing I want you to see is that as we think about Cyrus, number one, we're talking about a real person. And how God would use Cyrus for his purpose and how God spoke about Cyrus and all that he would do before he was born. That's powerful. And that means something. It should mean something for you and it should mean something for me. What exactly should it mean? Well, let me give you five thoughts that I want you to think about. Five thoughts as you think about King Cyrus and the cylinder. Number one, I guess this would make it six thoughts. I just want you to look at all those verses. Look at all those verses. And what we see in the scriptures, 
What do we find in the scriptures? And I may be getting ahead of myself here, but that's okay. We find unity. Do you see that? There's unity in the word of God. How can that be? All these books written over such a long period of time is because they were given by God himself. And so one of the things I want you to think about is just be impressed with all of the information that we have about Babylon, about Persia, about Cyrus, and about all the things that he was going to do. Now let me get to some detailed thoughts. Number one, the Bible gives us accurate details about real people, events, and places, and nations. We have all of this information, and all of it is true and accurate and detailed. Number two, predictive prophecy is powerful evidence that God's word is true. There's no other book in, in the world that has predictive prophecy. What we have in the Bible is unique and special. It is the very word of God. And when you think about God's word, don't allow college professors or family members or people on YouTube to deceive you about the trustworthiness of the scriptures. What we have here indeed is true. And predictive prophecy is one of the most powerful pieces of evidence that we have that what we have indeed is reliable in nature and that these men were given this information and knowledge by God himself. Number three, as you think about all of this information here, and I mentioned this earlier, there's unity in the scriptures. All of these books are, uh, are, are, are one. They all work together and they give us this information about unit or about, about history. And how can all of this be? It's because, because they are from God. Number four, as you think about this story here of Cyrus and the cylinder, be confident with what you believe. Be confident that what you have in your hand indeed is the truth. What we have, folks, is, is, is the truth. We have God's word. And number four, or number five, God is in control of the nations. That's one of the big lessons I took away just studying this. No leader is too big for God. No nation is too strong for the Lord. God is in the one, God is the one who is in control. And his will is going to be done. That was the case with Egypt. That was the case with Israel. That was the case with Assyria and Babylon and Persia. And the list could go on and on. God is in control as we look at this story and what God is able to do. There's nothing too hard for him. He can and he will providentially use kings and leaders for his will to be done. The story of King Cyrus is amazing. At least it is to me. Hopefully you have found it interesting as well. All this information about this king who really did live and the great things that he did and how God used him to carry out his purpose to deliver his people from captivity. And while the story of King Cyrus is amazing, let me close with this thought. There's an even greater story, an even greater story in the Bible that's far more amazing. It's about a man named Jesus. The prophets spoke about him as well. They spoke about where he would be born, according to Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2. They spoke about what he would do, according to Isaiah chapter 53. And they spoke about how he would die. Isaiah spoke about that as well in Isaiah chapter 53. And the prophets also spoke about how he would rise from the grave. They spoke about all these events of the Messiah, of Jesus, before he was ever born and before all these things took place. And what we have concerning the Messiah, concerning Jesus, my friend, indeed it is true, and we need to believe it to be true. Just as we can believe the details concerning Cyrus to be true, 
everything concerning King Jesus is true as well. He really did live. He really did die. He really was risen from the grave. He is the Messiah. And the question for all of us, will we believe and continue to believe what is recorded about him in this book? This is the faith that we need. We need to continue to hold on to what we have in this book. It is the very word of God. If you have not yet been baptized, we want to encourage you to arise and be baptized. We want to encourage you to believe Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and to have your sins forgiven through his blood. And if you are already a Christian, continue to arise and build your faith on God's word. If you're subject to the invitation, come now as we stand and as we sing.